I am not religious. I haven't been religious for a very long time, and I would even make the argument that I was never truly religious. Um, I did have a religion. I was uh, brought up Catholic. My parents raised me in that way, and I went through the majority of my younger days appeasing them. So if church was something that they wanted to go to, I went. If I needed to do communion, I did it. I didn't have a choice to be baptized, but I guess I, you know, but they, they did it anyways. But even when I was a little kid, I would see my parents bend over backwards, in my opinion, to to look at or, or to see this entity or to, I'm, it's a shame on, on me, I'm, I'm doing a podcast and I'm at a loss for words, but to awe, for lack of a better term, at uh, a deity that I just could not fathom. And maybe you could say, well, that's, that, that, you know, that's your problem right there, is that, you know, that God or whatever isn't supposed to be fathomable. It's just a feeling, but that's the whole thing, though. I, don't, I never had that feeling. It never grew from me. I, there was nothing that they could say uh, or show me that led me to believe that the world that I lived in was in it was a creation of something else. It just always seemed so far fetched. And the more stories that they showed me, the more Mexican movies that they they put in front of me on the television, um, all of the Bible verses that they would read to me in Spanish, none of it just made sense in the physical world. I think that I was always grounded from the standpoint of I have to see it, I have to experience it, it has to be testable in order for me to agree that it's a thing, right? And you couldn't test for God. There was no Jesus um, kit that you can go out there and, and, and put together some experiments and prove that Jesus existed. So for me... Even from my younger age, it's like, well, I have to play the part. My parents expect from me to believe in something, in what they believe in, so I am going to perform for them. And I remember this, especially on one occasion. It was Easter. Again, we were back in Mexico City, and they were playing one of the thousands of crucifixion movies that are available uh, for you to watch. It was, and actually I remember more than anything that there was this uh, Spanish from Spain guy overacting on the screen and saying these overdramatic, melodramatic words uh, while they were being crucified and the nails are going into the skin and he's giving, uh, into the hands and he's giving this grandiose speech. And I remember looking at that and thinking, God darn it, that guy is overacting. And I don't like his Spanish lisp. Because he doesn't talk like me. And then started looking at the, well, if they place the, you know, the, the nails there, uh, wouldn't they rip off if he fell off? And, okay, he comes back in three days, but who's there to find him? And there, there were all these thousand questions and none of them could be answered. I didn't, and I remember even thinking back when they were telling me about Noah's Ark and, and the fact that every single animal in the world and its mate were going to be part of it and thinking back that's impossible 
even within my own neighborhood, there's so many little things that are part of that. How do you get both a male and a female from that? It doesn't make any sense. And losing my religion was something that I did not want. Something that I fought for a long time. It almost felt like I was coming out in a way. And when I eventually did, because I had to have a talk with my parents, and it was a violent conversation with my mom and dad about the fact that I didn't believe, and it happened around 16, 17, uh, 16, 17 years old, and it happened in the U.S. It didn't happen back in Mexico, obviously. It felt like I had to muster everything I had to tell them that their religious path was not mine, that I appreciated what it brought to the table. I, I understood that the commandments gave us a way to look at the world and to act in the world in such a way where we knew how to behave towards others and hopefully others would behave on towards us. But that it, but the, 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 the believing in a God thing just was not, a, not something that I was going to be okay with because it just did not make rational sense. Now, what's funny about that, and I've been thinking about this a, a, a lot about this lately, is the fact that science, to a certain degree, is my religion now. I believe in science. Now, do I go out there and run the test myself? No. And I have heard plenty of news stories about how science continues to redefine itself. It continues to ask questions and posit queries. And it, sometimes it decides that what we thought was right wasn't, and now there's something else that's correct. And so you would think, well, your science, Hugo, is just as fallible as the religion that you shed away years ago. And maybe that's right. But I think science is more based on the tangible. So therefore, if I'm going to place my bet... Because it is a bet, if, 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 if you look at it from the dogmatic sense. I'm going to place my bet on what is tangible, or more likely to be tangible, than what is not. I, I am very mindful of my religious friends. I'm very careful when I talk to my religious friends. And, and, and one of the interesting things is that I found that religious people, uh, Christians, uh, Catholics, uh, the, the, the people that I'm you know, immediately surrounded by, they actually have a really good sense of humor about their religion. A lot of times, I think, religious folks come off as these like over-conservative, holier-than-thou types, and they're really not. They understand that there are a lot of questions when they're within their own dogma, and they're trying to grapple with them, with them themselves. And so, you can poke fun, and they can poke fun at you, and as long as you're both coming from a place of understanding, then... You can actually have a lot of fun with religion or lack of religion. And it's amazing for me to, to think, I'm losing my train of thought here, but it's amazing for me to think that I have really taken a lot of what, is, a lot of what science just for, for, as a given versus really questioning it. Um, and I think I need to stop doing that as I get older. It is something where if somebody posts something online and they say, well, science says the following, I 
have taken it onto myself to do the further reading on it and, and, and look at other things and look at different points of view. Now, mind you, that still, I mean, I, again, I said I believe in science. So six times out of ten, I am going to decide with the scientific community, and especially if there's the preponderance of the evidence is there. So, for instance, something like climate change or global warming, which is what I grew up with, I believe that that's a thing. But here's that's the crazy part is that I believe I haven't gone out there and done the math on it. I haven't gone out there and done the research. I haven't taken soil, I mean, uh, ice samples from Antarctica. I just got to go by, by, by what the scientific community says and, and go with it because that is the best that my, you know, my economy allows me to do, right? But I can understand why it's such a, you know, it's a hard thing for people to vacillate on. Because if you don't have the means to go out there and study it yourself, you don't have the means, you don't have the education, you don't have the background, you have to eventually place a vote somewhere, right? To vote. You have to go out there and decide on whether you agree with it or you disagree with it. And if you are on this, uh, if you're a man of science or if you're a man, a man of faith, Eventually, you have to cast a vote in which side are you on. For me, it's science. If the preponderance of the evidence is there, or actually not even it's a matter of the preponderance of the evidence, it's a preponderance of the scientific community, the opinion of the scientific community. So for me, it's with something like global warming, climate change, whatever the fuck you want to call it, that's a th- it's real, it's happening. And... I guess it's on my mind lately because if you look at Southern California right now, this uh, July 27th, uh, 2018, it almost seems like our whole fucking state's on fire. We literally have fires right to the south of me, right to the north of me, right to the west of me. I mean, they're, they're all around us. Big fires, you know, almost they seem like time bombs. And some of them have, there's a debate, I was listening on KPCC, talking about how utility companies, sometimes their equipment fails, and so it causes fires. And there's a debate on whether uh, utility companies should hold the brunt of all of the cost, or should some of it be passed on to the, uh, the residents of a community. Uh, and there's a debate on that because, of course, I mean, we all uh, we all like it and love it when utilities work. When they don't, of course, we're going to bitch about it. But there is something to be said about the fact that equipment does fail. And we are in the middle of this global warming uh, epidem- epidemic and, and a drought thing going on here in, in California. And in normal circumstances, maybe the whole Kappa County wouldn't go on in flames. But it's doing that because we don't have the water here. And so are you going to hold the company uh, responsible 100% just because their equipment fails as it does when it's 112 degrees out there sometimes and, and wires get frayed and things happen? I'm, I'm not on the side of the companies. I'm just saying that I can understand from a company point of view saying, listen, we're putting these things up there and they are going to fail and it's a tinderbox out there. So if it does break or some one of our equipment pieces break all of a sudden we're responsible for the cost of that and you also got to think about the fact that you know if there's lawsuits because i mean everybody's going to sue one another that you can you can actually bankrupt a company that's creating the utility that you want for yourself 
Now, that also has to deal with water. It has to deal with uh, transportation and infrastructure or roads. I mean, we want all of these things. Um, but anyway, so, so go back, going back to the global warming part of it, I mean, I have to look at what's going on in my state and think this is a result because the com scientific community has agreed that this is a result of what we have done to the planet. And I have to believe that the research that they're putting out there um, is, tr you know, is true enough to account for, for what's going on. Now, there's the people on the other camp. And I believe that, because we're human beings, that greed and the uh, monetary need or want, uh, desire, it, it, um, trumps everything else. That's not a pun. I meant at the way that it, that it, that it was being said. And, and of course, if you are a producer of oil, if you are, you know, somebody that, you know, if you are a plastic manufacturer, if you are a polluter, but that is how your business, that's how you make money, that you want to keep it going. So you are going to counter argue. You're going to get scientists that argue your point of view to the masses and try to get it out there. I mean, it's fair in a economy like ours you are going to do whatever you can to spin it in your own way but what always drives me crazy about these questions is how short-sighted we are because yes you make profit in this time your time you get to live the good life here but eventually somebody will inherit this earth earth Somebody will inherit, you know, the problems that you are setting forth now, and is your need for immediate, this, you know, the immediate, uh, um, oh my gosh, for immediate uh, pleasure. Does it overcome your understanding that the human experience hopefully should continue on? We are a funky generation, guys. We're in a generation where, you know, you talk about the wars and you talk about Genghis Khan and you talk about uh, Julius Caesar and a lot of these great conquerors back in the day who were, you know, out there trying, killing hundreds of thousands of billions, uh, people, if not millions, who were, you know, shaping the world in their own, you know, in, in the way that they wanted to. But they were not affecting the environment the way that we are affecting it. We are a generation where our wars, our need for technological advancement, our desire to, our, our just basic need to have the things that now we feel are givens like electricity and air conditioning and running water, that in pursuit of all of that, we are destroying the Mother Earth that still houses us because we are not so advanced that we have found alternative places to go. I don't know. I, I, I am worried for us because we are... I think we're smart enough to overcome this, but we are anchored by our need to follow dogma and by our need to 
have more than everybody else at the expense of everybody else. And until we shed that, until we get away from that, I don't know that we survive this technological adolescence uh, that, we, that we're so proud of right now. And by the way, I think that is a... Um, that's, that is not my, my original thought. That is the thought of, you know, a lot of different people. And, and, you know, Carl Sagan, I think, said it first. You know, that we are in this technological adolescence. We are kids who are starting to realize that we have these abilities. That we have, you know the power to make and change in our own image talk about uh, biblical but we do we're not smart enough to see the bigger picture we as a species are very very young we like to think that we're not but we are very very young and if we're not careful we may flame out really quickly I, I was watching this whole thing about with my kids about the uh, I think it's a 27 year old club or I'm going to look it up here in a second 27 year old club um of people who died really young right so you have in that a uh, Jimi Hendrix or Janis Joplin Jim Morrison Kurt Cobain I think Lady God no not Lady God sorry my apologies she's not dead my bad uh what was her name? Uh, gosh, uh, Amy Winehouse. Uh, what what year did what? When did she die? She was. How old was Amy Winehouse? Age of death. Let's see here. Come on, internet, work with me. Twenty-seven years old. Amy Winehouse died at twenty-seven years old. Uh, Heath Ledger. Let's look that up. Heath Ledger, death age. 28 years old. Okay, so he, you know, not quite there. But close enough. I think that we are the, if we're not careful, I think that we are the, um, we could join that club as a species. Because we do not have the, uh, the know-how to realize that it's a marathon, not a sprint. That we need to just chill out for a few and understand that we're not that different from one another and that our science is real and that we have choices to make, important choices to make as a species to use our technology, to use our understanding of how things are, to turn the tide on the world as we have built it now. And if we don't, because we rather have quick profits or we want quick results now, then we're doomed. Fuck, this is a depressing podcast now, isn't it? Well, and then you say, well, like, and this is what I always ask, well, what are your fucking answers? I don't know, guys. I, I don't know what the answers are. I think that, first and foremost, if I could, 
of anything is that I would try to figure out because I, I think it's it, people are not going to shed their religion tomorrow. I don't think anybody does. It, it, it's it's a process. Nobody can do it like I did. And I'm not saying that I'm the you know measuring stick. By no means am I the measuring stick. But if you look at it a societal way, there's no way that this, uh, that religion is going to go you know, from our minds anytime soon. It's here to stay for a long, long time. But I think there's a way, if we can, to merge our religion with our science. To do a better job of the scientific minds come together with the religious minds and talk to one another in such a way that they can coincide. And I don't know that we're, that that would be that difficult because, again, they're both belief systems. But if we can figure out a way for these two belief systems to talk to one another and figure out dialogues and techniques of dialogues so that they can go out there and talk to you know their parties and say, hey, listen, we need to follow each other here or we need to plot a course together, then I think we might be onto something there. And when it comes to the question of greed, that part I don't know. How do you... How do you curve greed other than a grassroots reimagining of what our society is or what our society should be. And, and the U.S. has to be a key player in that because a lot of us, myself included, my family included, we are living really, really well compared to the rest of the world. And I've talked about this before. We are, you know, living really, really okay compared to everybody else. Now, in my own personal economy, you could say, well, no, you know, I, I could say, hey, there's this things that need to happen and my house has some deferred maintenance and I wish that I had more money to go on so many trips or whatever. But these are first world problems that I'm dealing with, right? My point is that the U.S. really needs to look at itself and think, as a community, is are we okay with us just living and, and, and not thriving, but surviving a, a, a heck of a lot better than most people? Or are we willing to fight for a you know parity across the globe? Because I think that we can be that big of a leader. Maybe we don't need to be the world's police. We need to be harbingers of goodwill and better technology for everybody else. But we will never do that as long as we don't shed the greed instinct, which I think a lot of us have. There's a, I don't remember when it happened, but there was a line, I think, after Apple needed saving for Microsoft and uh, Steve Jobs brought, um, was the Microsoft guy, um, Oh gosh, I forget the name of the founder of Microsoft. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, uh, Mike. Oh, let me. I gotta look that up. Gosh darn it, Microsoft founder. Founder, come on, you go. Uh, Bill Gates. Gosh darn it. Okay, uh, revoke my nerd card. But there was a line. You know, they were they were on stage together, and uh, actually they weren't on stage together. Uh, Bill Gates was on the screen and. And somebody said there, 
one company doesn't have to fail in the other, in order for the other one to succeed. There's more than enough room. I'm paraphrasing terribly. I get that. But I believe that. I, that is one of the best things that I've ever heard in my life. That you do that you don't that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to lose in order for somebody else to fail and vice versa. I think that we could all win. There's enough space in this world for all of us to win if we're willing to sacrifice some, if we're willing to desire a heck of a lot less, at least in the U.S., a heck of a lot less than what we have. Um, all right, well, there you go. Uh, that was uh, 25 minutes of rambling about who the heck knows what. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for you know, coming out every single time and giving me your input and feedback. Uh, I'm sure that with some of you guys, this is not going to sit well because you expect someone who likes religion, and I just, I'm sorry, I have reservations. But please let me know your thoughts respectfully. Let, let me know what you think. I'm here to talk always and to share some more. Peace out.